Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to VUC 618, November 4th, 2016. And we're going to be talking to Ken Dixon from uh, Yonomi. And I'm going to thank Michael right in advance for uh, bringing this to our attention. And maybe he has somebody else to thank. And then he's going to introduce Kent. And we're going to start the session. So here we go. Michael, go for it. Well, hello, everybody. And uh, hello, Kent. It's good to meet you. Uh, I'm going to borrow a line from uh, NPR's Car Talk. None of our staff have been in, in contact before, right? This is our first encounter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Um, I have, I'm going to forego my usual little pre-story that says, you know, how, why I became interested in this and came to know your, your, uh, your company and, and product. Uh, I will say I've been using it uh, for a little bit. Um, but before we get into that, we always ask all of our guests about their origins in technology, because at least for the moment, people are an important part of technology. And we'd like to know how you got into it and sort of what's the pre-story to uh, you know me and, and how did you come to be where you are? Uh, well, it's a long story. I'll make it brief. Uh, I actually am a uh, wayward aerospace engineer uh, to talk about my origins in technology. Studied aerospace engineer and, uh, engineering and, and worked at a NASA contractor out of college, uh, but uh, quickly got uh, interested in software, realizing that uh, you could innovate much faster uh, with things that are soft and, and not hard and uh, things that didn't have to uh, actually go uh, and, and launch uh, into orbit. Uh, so uh, I went about uh, kind of working in uh, software. Uh, I've done a number of startups. This is the fourth uh, software startup that I've been involved in. Uh, and uh, and really the the, the most uh, tangible part of the pre-story to you know me is that I was CTO of a company called Tendril uh, starting back in 2008. Uh, and we had a big vision for the connected home. The smart home uh, meets the smart grid uh, and that we could uh, essentially uh, change the way that uh, consumers consumed energy, still be able to keep them uh, very comfortable, uh, but massively reduce uh, the energy footprint. Uh, and uh, it was a big vision that involved actually making devices, hard things, once again, uh, like thermostats and switches uh, and even displays that would sit on your countertop and tell you in real time how much energy you were using. Uh, it involved cloud computing uh, to uh, take in lots of real-time data streams and uh, run algorithms against them and come up with optimizations uh, for the smart home. Uh, so it was a great vision, uh, some of which uh, lives on today, but uh, but I, I would say that we didn't really realize the whole vision um, for a variety of reasons. I think the energy market was probably not quite ready for what we were doing. Uh 
but indirectly, then that led me to say, you know, the real, uh, I should say me and my co-founders uh, uh, came up with this notion that the that the real value around smart home uh, or the way that you engage users around that are things that they can tangibly experience on a day-to-day basis. You know, energy at the end of the day is important to all of us, but it's invisible. Uh, we don't see it often until the end of the month when we get our bills and, you know, and the bills actually in many cases aren't that hot. Uh, but the things that we experience every day are comfort, convenience, uh, and uh, and the satisfaction of kind of being taken care of by a smart home. And so we really uh, launched Yonomi with the idea that, uh, that you know, this is something that uh, is relevant to everyone. Uh, uh, you know, whether you have connected devices today or not, you certainly will, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we all will, and increasingly uh, higher numbers of those devices. And so uh, we, as we ourselves were starting to live with these things, we said, you know, boy, these are really cool, but it's going to kind of suck uh, for a lot of users uh, because uh, it has really the potential to actually complicate your more your life. Uh, and what the smart home should really do is simplify. And so we came up with this notion that, hey, if we took this agnostic approach uh, that allowed us, allowed us to work with essentially every connected device that might come into the home uh, and coordinate them together so that the, the end result is one, simplicity, and two, uh, value to the user that is uh, where where in the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, uh, and uh, and so we set about doing that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of hard problems to solve in there. User experience problems, technology infrastructure problems, uh, connectivity issues, automation, global scale, lots of really fascinating the whole is uh, hard problems along the way. But we've been uh, chipping away at it iterating on it. I like to say that we've uh, we've been through a thousand iterations uh, on this platform at this point in time and uh, are feeling pretty good about where we are, but uh, still so much left to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and your experience there kind of uh, mimics my own mm-hmm. in that um, we've had several different swings at what I would call home automation. I mean, before IoT became the buzz phrase that it is. Absolutely. And going, going all the way back to, uh, you know, the old BSR X10 things and then early Z-Wave stuff and and every time you add one of these things, you find out that it's a part of a solution, but it's not an entire solution. And the entire solution doesn't exist or is hellaciously expensive and only designed for mansions um, or this sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so before we get into you know something specific about Yonomi, um, how do you use it? Describe for us your household circumstance and, and, mm-hmm. and how it how how it impacts your day? <laughs> uh, well, that's a good one. Uh, so you know, I'll say that I uh, I live in a household uh, with my wife and our three daughters, um, and uh, and so uh, we use it quite a bit. So the first thing that I, I did as we were starting to prototype Yonomi is I said I want this thing to manage the lights because. Uh, with kids, uh, the thing that they always do is leave, leave, leave the lights on in the rooms, you know, wherever they go. Uh, they just are totally unconscious about it. And uh, try, though I uh, though I did for many years to educate, uh, to encourage uh, children to uh, form good habits about turning on and off lights. It was I was I failed at it basically with my kids. So I automated it all. Uh, and you know, and I have the lights uh, basically turn themselves off in their bedrooms as the kids leave the house. Uh, uh, and, you know, if they kind of leave little uh, reading lights and closet lights on when they go to sleep at night, it, once they're asleep, the lights automatically go off. Uh, so that's quite a convenient thing. Um, and then, 
music, it turns out, is a pretty important part of our family as well. And so uh, we use uh, You Know Me uh, to automate the music experiences too. As people arrive home, you know, uh, music kind of starts coming on and playing. Uh, and increasingly, uh, over the past couple of years, well, really the past year, uh, uh, using voice as an interface uh, for a lot of our uh, home experiences really become a big deal. Uh, as we've integrated with Amazon Echo, uh, we use the Alexa service basically to turn on and off routines. And so the, the kids now use that more than anything else. Yes, they're the automated things that automatically turn off the lights for them. But when they actually want to start controlling music, turn on television, um, or, uh, you know, just kind of turn on everything in a, in a room like the living room, they can just use that with their voice now. And we've got the little cheap echo dots all over the house. Uh, and you can just say, Alexa, turn on the living room TV. And it just comes on and the lights dim, uh, the music mutes uh, while we do that. So those are the kind of ways. Oh, the last one I'll say is uh, my kids uh, come and go, uh, take themselves you know, to and from school and their various activities right now. The other thing uh, they, I, they wouldn't remember to do for sure. And plus, I don't even want to give them house keys anymore because I know they'll lose them. Uh, the doors just automatically lock when they leave. Uh, so they will never forget to lock the door on their way out. It just it just happens for them automatically. Boy, boy I, I'm going to come back around to that because I have some questions about that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we've kind of, it sounds like we're sort of, I'm, I'm maybe a number of steps behind you down a similar path, um, having integrated these things. But, um, but before we get, I, I guess before we dive down into all the minutiae of that, shall we take a brief look at You Know Me to see what it is? And I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give my little outline, and then I'm curious about some of the design decisions that you've made. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep looking at you, but I'm going to change my shot to actually take a look at um, my Nexus 7 tablet, which... Uh, um, now, Randy, would you be able to make that the focus briefly, uh, if you're still about? Uh, uh, it is. Oh, this one. Yeah, you have a couple. Okay, yeah. we're there. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so basically, this is a live shot of my Nexus Seven. You can see what I got going on here, and I have the Unomi app running. And I only have a few. I've I've only been using it for a few weeks, so I only have a few little presets in. And basically, you know, I I have it set to turn the office lights on. And and if I one second, if I put myself down here, you can actually see all this stuff happening. Now, the interesting thing about this to me is, um, first of all, I have to give kudos. Kudos to Stacey Higginbotham for actually uh, tipping me to you guys, because I was expressing, I was venting a bit about uh, IFT. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have IoT stuff, you will you will probably explore IFT at some point, um, because it's quite useful and it's free and whatnot. The problem with it is, is it, uh, it's super simplistic and that simplicity is both it's you know it's a benefit and and a curse because three minutes after you programmed your first one you find out there's no if this then and or else and uh, (laughs) uh, so so that's where where you know me came in and so the ability to to do things like uh, you know office you see there's a there's a thing says office lights on that sends a command to my wemo smart lights controller also a source of great frustration but the, the wemo stuff not wonderful <laughs> um the philips hue stuff much more wonderful <laughs> um but then the ability to say uh, alexa turn off the office lights okay. and have her answer back and the office lights go out and it's by room and and we actually put this to great use um including a bit of yonomi stuff for halloween this week where we had quite a 
we had a bunch of Philips Hue programmable color stuff going on in any case. Um, so there are some things here. These are my presets. These are all of the different lights and devices. Then there are the different routines, um, I guess. And there are a whole bunch of neat ideas for things that you can do. I, I mean, I just haven't had a chance to look at all of this yet, but incoming phone calls causing lights to happen, ge geographic stuff. How, what's the reaction to the fact that you're running this on a, on a mobile device and that it might not be at home? How does that work? How are people responding to that? Uh, well, uh, there's a few, I guess, a few ways to sort of talk about that. You know, the mobile device obviously is the most accessible thing everybody's got. Uh, and so in, in some ways, that's the most natural platform uh, to use to engage users and to, uh, you know, uh, leverage that as infrastructure in the home uh, that can deliver messages. Um, now, the vast majority of uh, at least mainstream connected devices today have both local um, interfaces uh, and cloud interfaces. And so we've built into Unomi some intelligence that says, hey, you know, we can send the message to those lights, uh, in this case, via Phil2, you know, either on a local network or through the cloud, whichever one is sort of more performance and available at that particular time. Uh, but there are a handful of devices, and Wemo uh, is among those, uh, that we uh, have no cloud interface for. Uh, so we can only access it on a local network. And that's where uh, the, the issue of using the mobile device as a, as a relay as a gateway uh, for those devices is can be problematic because if that device is not on the local network, um, if it has uh, you know let either left the house or run out of batteries or or whatever or dropped Wi-Fi, uh, then uh, commands to like a Wemo uh, uh, might not work. And so uh, that is uh, problematic for some users. The thing that we recommend uh, to people uh, in that instance is you know if you have a device like a tablet, for instance, which uh, doesn't leave the house all that often, uh, tends to stay plugged in, uh, then that is a natural thing to use as your uh, virtual gateway. Uh, so, uh, so we suggest uh, leaving those things uh, on home network if you have those types of local devices that you want to be able to uh, uh, control even if uh, your your mobile phone is out of the network. Uh, honestly, um, Unomi has been kind of transformative in our use of some of these things and it's been a good enough experience that I would consider purchasing like a little Chromebook or something that can run Android uh, things um, to to just stay, you know, to be a fixed install because mm -hmm. uh, there was a point I, I had a sort of a false start down a a system that was from a company called Miyakase Verde. Uh, they called it a Vera. Uh, came came from the same sort of energy management, home automation stuff, but was maybe a few years ahead of the curve. And uh, it basically looked like a little router. And so I could see, you know, a little Chromebook with, you know, me running on it, you know, sitting in the family room or something like that as a, as a fixed part of the install would be would be a very worthwhile enterprise. Um, on the other hand, it's been interesting to have, uh, you know, me installed on a couple of devices, some that leave the house and some that never do, and to see how it's handed off. Um, I have a couple of questions about this. One is, um, to what extent is this locally executed logic versus cloud executed logic? How does that, uh, how, it, what's the sort of device dividing line there if, if my internet access went down in some cases and everything's local would anything work um in terms of the automations uh the uh the the, the automation engine the rules engine actually does run in the cloud and there's reasons that that's necessary really um and so uh you know if you fully lost um uh, uh connectivity to all your devices uh when the internet went down uh that then those you know 
many automations would not work. Um, now, there are some ways, obviously, for us to push uh, some of that capability more towards the edge. Uh, so it could run locally uh, on your tablet or uh, some local gateway device that you have running in the home uh, and can uh, 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 still reach out and, and connect to some of those local devices. But still, as I mentioned, uh, it's a mishmash uh, 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 what types of connectivity each of these products use. And some of those products are not controllable at all um, if the internet goes down. So uh, so, uh, so it's going to be, uh, at best, uh, an incomplete user experience uh, if and when the, the internet goes goes down. Okay. Um, and now you, you guys control just a range of devices. I mean, the, I have some promo goods from the, the Honeywell thermostat, and, mm-hmm. and you're brilliantly good at finding devices. Um, what are sort of the underlying mechanisms there, or, or have, have there been any particular you know, speed bumps along the way to dealing with the, uh, all the different things because there there are what, sixty or seventy that you now deal with. And yeah, awesome. that's right, that's right. There are, and and we're adding new ones all the time. And uh, yeah, we encountered uh, this challenge uh, very early on as we we're getting started because we didn't start with uh, the idea like, okay, let's let's you know narrowly connect to. Uh, some sort of known, well vetted ecosystem with an open, you know, API or SDK or whatever. We took the approach of okay, what are the five or ten most popular connected devices in the home today? Uh, and let's go f- figure out how to connect with all of those things. And of course, they were all over the map in terms of the the sort of interfaces and the co- connectivity style and the security schemes that they used and everything else. So they were, you know, Sonos, Nest, Philips Hue. Uh, were among among the first and, and Wemo, right? So they all do things uh, vastly differently. Um, and so that forced us from the very beginning to design an architecture uh, that could one, successfully discover devices from all of those uh, different types of vendors, different types of com- connectivity schemes and security schemes, uh, connect to them and then automate them. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought up very specifically the, the discovery piece of it, because I think that's a very unique capability in in Unomi, and that's because we viewed that from day one as being essential part of the user experience. Um, uh, that you, uh, the user, don't have to really think, you know, and do your own self inventory of what are the things that you have, and then go about, you know, sort of connecting them into Unomi. Uh, we're there to simplify your life, and it's a much better user experience if we can just tell you, oh, we see these that you have these three things. And here's how you can connect them to you know me. And within you know a couple of simple steps, literally you know a couple of minutes, uh, have them all connected and your first routine or automation running with them. So it was really quite challenging. Yeah, and and um, the the differing security models is particularly interested to, uh, of interest to this crowd because we have kind of come to the realization that security is once again an afterthought in a lot of circumstances. And um, you know I don't want some script kitty flashing my lights all day long. Um, and I know some that might do it just for fun, Mr. Bodie, from halfway around the planet. Um, so it's it's interesting uh, for sure. Um, do um, do the manufacturers do they take any feedback? Do they uh, is it a bi-directional street? Are, are you able to work with them and you know help them to improve their customer experience as well as your own? Uh, in some cases, yes. As you can imagine, you know it, they all are different and all are are sort of interested in collaboration and feedback. You know, some more than others. Um, but yeah, with a number of these partners, uh, we are able to work really very closely and collaborate on what the user experience. 
experience is and what's really going to make it uh, smoother, better, more satisfying, more reliable, uh, more secure, uh, all of those things. And so, uh, yeah, it is all over the map. I mean, some some of these uh, partners, you know, are very passive. They say, you know, here's our interface API go use it, you know, don't call us basically <laughs> if you don't have to. Uh, and other people really want to have very frequent collaborative conversations with us about uh, uh, what what we're learning on this side, um, what challenges we've had, uh, bugs, you know, you know, some of them are very anxious for us to uh, discover bugs or other uh, issues that they have and and, uh, and uh, uh, really re- react uh, very well uh, to to that. And, and likewise, we, we like that to be bi-directional. But it is, it is all over the place. As you mentioned, we, we work with a, a ton of different uh, companies. And so they all have their own personality. Mm, yeah, I, I'm interested. Uh, what uh, One of the things I'm specifically interested in, and I'll open up to some of these guys for, for questions of their own. Um, what are you able to accomplish with Sonos? And let me, let me preface, I have no experience at Sonos. Mm. Uh, and I'm somewhat averse a little bit to certain things about their product range if only because I have one of the predecessors widely installed and it would be you know, exorbitantly expensive to switch them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of looking in another direction, but I'm interested to know sort of how far it goes, how deep you're able to go into their um, operating environment, as it were. Uh, yeah, we can do uh, quite a quite a few things with Sonos. And, and we have found uh, that uh, it is, I think it, it remains, I mean, at least in the top two or three most popular devices that we see in homes today. Um, and moreover, uh, uh, the people who do have Sonos are absolutely passionate about Sonos and and, and typically about music. So so they really care about um, the integrations. We get a lot of feedback from Sonos users and from Sonos themselves. I mean, they're 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 really a, a, a great company, very innovative, and uh, and they are extremely passionate about user experience. Um, and so. Uh, so we do some really interesting things, and uh, I think Sonos was was quite um, uh, surprised early on when when we went to them and kind of showed them some of the prototypes we were working on of things that we were doing that. They, you know, I think it really wasn't on their roadmap uh, of things that could probably be done with their products. So, uh, so we can do cer- certainly a lot of the basic things. You know, we could we could uh, have your uh, Sonos players, you know, play pause. Uh, we can have y- you select uh, music from your Sonos favorites um, and include that in a routine that fires automatically when you come home, or that you can run via your voice from Amazon Alexa um, and things like that. Um, skip track. Uh, mute, uh, various things. But uh, what we added to that was ability to do announcements as well. So we can uh, we can on the fly generate uh, 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 text voice uh, s- types of announcements and stream that directly to your Sonos. So this is useful uh, for alarms and reminders and things like that. I have one talking personally uh, because I famously uh, forget to set out the trash uh, and recycling curbside on Monday mornings. Uh, so my Sonos, you know, at, 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 at seven o'clock in the morning when I'm typically in the kitchen, the kitchen Sonos will just come on and says, Kent, remember to set out the trash today. Uh, so that's kind of a useful thing. Um, but then the other thing that became possible once we started to automate this, you mentioned it briefly, at least it's available on the Android platform. Uh, our iOS users are anxious to get this as well, but there's some limitations in the uh, in the operating system that don't make it possible yet. But our ability to actually pause or mute music um, when you get a phone call. Um, so that's an incredibly useful feature uh, to uh, to not have background music playing, you know, if it was blaring uh, you don't want to have that when uh, when mom calls or 
uh, or your boss or whomever uh, to have that uh, mute uh, temporarily while you're on the phone. And then as soon as you hang up, it comes back on. Uh, that's it. That's an incredibly nice uh, style of automation. Yeah, very interesting. And I wonder if that would, so that's obviously possible on the mobile platform. I wonder if one could uh, you know, trigger that via something that, that wasn't necessarily native to the mobile platform. That's a different thing. Um, I'm reminded of, um, you know, the way TiVo, there used to be a module for TiVo that would uh, show the caller ID of an incoming phone call um, on the on the screen while you were watching your TV, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah. Similar kind of integration. That was all the you know, early on and simplistic. Um, let me open the floor to some of these other fine gentlemen who are uh, also active in this space in different ways and see if they have any questions to ask. Um, bear in mind, James, I don't see where you're pointing at specifically. I, I presume you're pointing at Tim. Uh, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, hi, yeah, I'm Tim. Um, so I'm curious about, I mean, I do kind of, I'm interested in IoT protocols, so I'm really fascinated about how you do the discovery. What, what are you allowed to tell me about that and how much of it is trade secret? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, what what we can say is that we sort of use this constellation approach to uh, to uh, sniffing out and detecting the various uh, devices that you have uh, in your home uh, associated with, with your phone and everything. I mean, they're all essentially open uh, things, but how you put those together so that it, it creates a cohesive user experience and you can see them one by one popping up as you launch the application uh, is, is the sort of... You Know, magical part from the user experience. So yeah, I probably won't get really deep into it, but uh, but it, it involves a number of different things that we can scan, search for, uh, and whatnot. And then there's some uh, some amount of processing because you get a lot of uh, uh, noise uh, in that signal uh, that you need to clear out of things that are totally irrelevant uh, to what we're actually looking for. And you can uh, kind of find those needles in the haystack. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm still left with some some questions, but no, never mind. Um, so that that no that, that that's interesting and you also talked about the ability to talk directly to devices if they offer that interface um so like if if something's on your wi-fi and it has a direct actionable interface then you'll use that optionally or you'll go via the cloud and, and it, how does that like to what extent does the user get to control that or is that your decision or does it vary on a network state how, how does that map i mean um, it it Seems to me like a hard problem, so I'm fascinated to know how you solved it. Yeah, it is a hard problem indeed. Uh, I mean, in, in many cases, uh, there there really isn't necessarily a choice to be made. You know, we can we can figure out what state everything is in, and like, okay, the only way this particular device is accessible at this particular time is via local things. So we'll send it that way, um, uh, or we may say, oh, the only uh, channel we have to this other device is through the cloud, so we use that. So I mean, it, you know, it's it, many. Sometimes it's 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 extremely simple. There's only one choice. Uh, uh, but uh, moreover, you know, we are uh, trying to be able to more intelligently, especially as we move forward, uh, detect uh, whether or not there are multiple paths uh, to deliver messages uh, and figure out which are going to be the most reliable uh, performance, uh, etc. Um, and uh, that uh, uh, can be done really on the fly. And so the question about does the user really get to choose that to some degree yes um but uh but i think in in real-time operations if there are multiple paths you 
don't want necessarily the user being involved because that's an interruption. You know, have to ask them, you know, uh, uh, their opinion on essentially network routing uh, isn't going to be a great user experience and obviously it's going to be very slow. But uh, the user can affect that by saying, you know, I'm going to enable essentially the, 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 the cloud interface for Yanobi and not the local interface right. or vice versa. Okay. Uh, so it would force it in that case, like, I'm not going to give you the option. It's always going to be this. So, so this cropped up and not, it's not a home automation case, but cropped up for me the other day when I was trying to um, download a TV program to watch on the train. And um, and the app decided that because I wasn't on Wi-Fi, it wasn't going to let me. Now, I know, like, I know that there is like three gig left in my bundle and I have to use it till some I've got till tomorrow to use it and I'm on LTE and the only available Wi-Fi was cruddy Starbucks it's like you know I, I, I know what I want to do here guys but no no it, the app knows best so I'm curious to like how far you've gone to avoid that sort of issue I mean I guess with the, with the home automation it makes less difference because you know latency apart provided the message gets there then you know the kettle will still switch on at roughly the right time and so I'm kind of not you know not down to the microsecond so I guess it doesn't. A lot of use cases, it doesn't matter so much. But, sure. um, but yeah, no. So, so do you do you you do kind of let the user um, at least express a bulk preference about how this device would get got at? Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, there there actually um, aren't that many devices today that uh, will 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 give you uh, the multiple options uh, to do it over local uh, and a remote network. But Philips Hue, for instance, is one of those. Right. Um, and uh, and so. Uh, you as a user have the ability to connect your cloud Hue account to Unomi, your local hub uh, uh, interface to Unomi, or both. Um, and you have and, some way uh, of, 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 of aggregating those so that you know that they're talking about the same devices somehow? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep, uh, because the 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 ID of the individual uh, bulbs themselves are always unique. Okay. So even yeah. if we see them through different channels, we know that they're the same thing. So um, do you? Uh, I mean, you may choose <laughs> choose not to answer this, but uh, what's your your feeling on the damage that the recent uh, security brouhaha about the the webcams and and denial of service mm-hmm. on Dyn and stuff like that? How much damage has that done to the perception of the Internet of Things to, for home automation? Hmm. Well, that's that's a that's a hard one uh, because I think it did damage uh, in a couple of different dimensions. I mean, I think one people who you know are sort of watching it closely and seeing that oh, you know, these are you know quote unquote Internet of Things devices that have been co opted to launch these types of attacks. Like that's a pretty alarming thing, and uh, that casts some sort of a cloud over uh, connected devices. Um, but I, I think. Most most uh, people who weren't actually paying attention to the details of that particular attack, their experience, you, you know, was one in which there were a number of services, including their connected devices, that were unavailable for that Friday, right? Um, because of of that attack, and so just they, they had a crappy user experience that day. Um, so, uh, so it certainly uh, certainly uh, hurts things. I, I, you know, I think it's been correctly pointed out by a number of folks close to this space is that, you know, the typical smart home devices that most people have um, uh, uh, really were in no way involved in this particular thing, older style security commercial environments and whatnot, it's not necessarily home thing. Uh, but, you know, it's it's definitely a, a warning uh, uh, of things to come. I, I think each time we have one of these, my sincere hope is that vendors, and I'm, I'm one of them, I'm, I, I, we don't sell any devices, but we certainly have service that's relative to this, that, that 
every, every time, you know, this happens, you know, everybody learns a little bit more, gets smarter, um, and our ability to uh, uh, defend against uh, and or preempt these types of things in the future uh, increases uh, because, uh, because, you know, uh, nobody wins uh, if, uh, if, 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 if we're um, in a position where these types of uh, uh, bad events can happen on a frequent basis. I think one of the risks that kind of people in the, in the world I hang out in were worried about is that it will invigorate the regulators to mm. perhaps regulate things prematurely before the market's really settled. And, and the, specifically for me, the worry is that they may cast in stone particular practices as being the right way to do things before this market is sufficiently mature for that to be a like, even a prudent thing to do, let alone a good thing to do. Um, yeah. So that was my that was my perception. Do you, do you think I'm like I'm hanging out with the wrong people, or do you think that's a fair comment? No, I do think it's a fair comment. I uh, I absolutely do. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, you know regulators uh, are are famously overreactive. I don't want to say overreactive. I mean, you know, they they play an important role in this, and and it can be very positive. But uh, but the potential is there for them to overreact, and the consequence of uh, overreaction uh, uh, in this space could really mute innovation. I think that's uh, the concern that you're surfacing, and I share that. Um, you know, we do we are at early stages in some ways, and we want a lot of people experimenting, getting things out there, and getting a lot of user feedback. Uh, yes, you know, you need to be responsible. You need to use best practices. You know. Uh, everything else don't be stupid about it um but uh but also you know i think the 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 products and the services that uh are going to be really transformative for our space you know are still being invented right now and if those are overly burdened uh right now it could really uh have a uh a a dampening effect on innovation and kind of following on from that michael interrupt if i'm going on for too long but but um following on from that i mean you probably don't want to name specific companies but have you seen onboarding experiences that are quantitatively better for users than other onboarding experiences because i mean there's a huge variation in the way that you you know you sign even your light bulb up you can buy the same technical product a light bulb and the way that you sign it up to to the world is utterly different from every device and mm-hmm. like, do you have a feeling that like there are good you know that, that, that there will be i'm trying to think of the word you said uh, well best practice that there will be an evolved best yeah. practice for that that will will come out of it and do you already see it um uh yes there there i think there's a lot of innovation going on in this space and there's some of it that i can't talk about because it's uh but it, because it's still uh under development and and very much under nda um uh but uh you know there are people been sort of wrestling with best ways to onboard new devices out of the box, right? You know, you get that light bulb and you plug it in and then how do you get it connected to the network and authenticated with you and share it with other people who are relative to you? You know, that there are some things, you know, some people do that better than others, as you've pointed out. Um, uh, some of them do it in a way that is just absolutely painful to users, especially mainstream users would not tolerate. Um, uh, but I think the state, even the best practice as it is today, um, uh, will within a short period of time, probably within the next year or two, uh, be completely replaced with new methods uh, that would make that uh, much easier uh, for mass market consumers and actually uh, much more secure. Um, so I think there are some some really brilliant uh, things coming down the pike uh, in that regard that uh, uh, I think will uh, have a huge impact on the 
uh, on the acceptance of these types of devices by mass market users. Cool. I, I, I have a, um, an interest in this space. I'm working on a, um, a thing in that area. Um, so I'd be fascinated to uh, to see how that evolves and maybe we get to talk about it at some other point, but yeah. not sure. in this environment, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, I have uh, a question because, you know, what we're talking about with Pew uh, and Wemo and, you know, all the all the different uh, sort of things are these are consumer space and and you your earlier effort in being in all the energy management stuff seemed to be maybe spanning consumer space and industrial space mm-hmm. maybe a little more and i think consumer iot and industrial iot are very different things um so which sort of begs the question of okay beyond things that are on my network there are things that are not on my network but if i'm running a factory using some of this or do, do you see an opportunity there for some of this same sort of activity, but relative to, uh, you know, industrial process automation or monitoring or any of these sorts of things, because it seems like the underlying fundamentals are similar, even if the devices are different. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the underlying fundamentals of uh, way uh, of attaching to lots of device st- uh, data streams that are sensors and actuators uh, that are in an environment that need to be coordinated together by some sort of automation intelligence engine and everything else. The, the the those high level concepts are exactly this. I mean, the the home you know is maybe a, a somewhat simpler version of a factory, but the the concepts and the technologies at the end of the day are very very similar. Uh, underlying all of this, um, uh, we've chosen uh, very consciously to uh, start by focusing on residential and uh, and have remained focused on that. I mean, there's there are some partnerships we're working on that are sort of pulling us into small commercial uh, types of things. Not, not really industrial, but uh, more small commercial things. Um, but the reason that we focused on that was uh, for a few reasons. Um, one, uh, that, and Michael, I think you said this uh, well at the beginning, you know, home automation has sort of been around for a while. You know, it's gone, gone, gone through a few iterations, but really never made it beyond essentially the 1%, right? Uh, the wealth, you know, more wealthy people or just super dedicated geeks, right? Uh, that's who uh, that's who, who really did that. So so the the the, the opportunity for smart home, uh, we try not to even use the, the term home automation anymore because it's so uh, 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 burdened, I think. Uh, but it, the opportunity for smart home is really greenfield. You know, nobody owns that. There's not a there's not an incumbent there, um, and there's lots of opportunity for innovation and kind of finding the right path there. That's why you know it was so exciting for us as as uh, as as engineers and innovators and entrepreneurs is that hey, you know, you don't see any of these, or you don't see very many of these greenfield uh, potentially global scale opportunities very often. So that's neat. Uh, when it comes to uh, commercial industrial for IoT, the the opportunity is clearly massive. Uh, massive probably the dollars spent on that you know in the coming years is going to massively outpace the home but uh there are a lot of incumbents in that space who have been doing some form of automation uh, for buildings and factories and uh industrial organizations for a long time you know uh, I, my opinion is that uh, there's a lot of disruption that uh that uh, uh should and could be done in that space uh but you're gonna hey, have Johnson to, controls could buy you uh, yeah yeah uh 
I, yeah, well, and I think, you know, it's either it, it'll get, you know, innovated from the inside by somebody who's already a big uh, player in that space or somebody new will come and uh, and completely disrupt it as a brand. brand. Uh, and I'm not sure the way that that'll go. But uh, for the time being, we uh, we want to stay focused. We're a small company. Uh, we can't do too much. And so let's uh, let's try to make the home experience great. And and that so moving forward before I hand off to James, who has his own question, is is that um, what's what's the end game for you guys? Do you do you want to be the big company or do you want to to um, sort of shake the foundations of others or, or do you do you see an opportunity to on ramp into a, a greater resource base at some point? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the one truth about uh, about uh, startups, uh, which we are very much one, uh, is that, uh, you know, it's a fallacy that you can have the long term plan. You know, basically you're playing the cards that are dealt you and the cards change every day. Um, and, and in this space where there's just a ton of activity going on and there will continue to be the cards are going to look very different a year from now than they look today. Uh, all we focus on is what we focus on from day one, which is how do we make the user experience simpler and better uh, with, uh, with with the connected home? We think that that is to today starting to be and will in the future uh, uh, very much be a massive scale uh, global opportunity. And we want to be uh, right in the middle of that. And so, hey, if if we can make a run at that uh, on global scale as a standalone company called Unomi, that's great. Um, if we can partner up with somebody who already has a very large reach, that's exciting too. Uh, but uh, but but either way, you know that that vision, we're not going to let go of it. Um, you know, the vehicle. If it changes, so be it. But uh, but but that's the thing that, that you know. I think we're all uh, committed to focusing on for the rest of our career. Okay, thank you for that. And now I'll hand off to James, who has been waiting patiently. I have, yeah, Kent. I I can get very excited about where we can take um, services like you know me going forwards. I think your emphasis so. F- far has been on household objects but i'm just thinking about what you can do if you can interface into other services like um mobile phone networks so there's so much you can do interacting with these mobile devices and and doing things like for example um um turning up the temperature in in the uh, in the house when uh, when my wife is uh, i don't know five kilometers down the road so when she arrives comes in through the door and the temperature is just perfect mm-hmm. or even the, the alternative scenario is uh when she's uh one kilometer down the road all the lights start flashing red and the sirens go to warn me useful um that sort of thing <laughs> yeah um and, and then you've got all the communications bits and pieces you can do as well um and there's yeah, a lot that, lot, lot that can be done there sorry sorry no no i i completely agree and we view uh from from day one we view that the mobile devices that uh that you carry around with you or sometimes wear on your wrist or whatever um are absolutely iot devices that are your um your personal uh you know we use the term, term smart home because that evokes the right the way for people to think about it but it's bigger than the home you're absolutely right it's uh it's that thing that you carry in your pocket which is a bundle of sensors um uh that tells us a lot of information and and that right now is being used uh to trigger location events like the ones that you uh, uh, mentioned about arriving home or leaving home. Uh, uh, they, in some cases, uh, uh, can be used in the in in the way that I mentioned before, which is uh, to pause the music that's playing on my Sonos speakers when I get a phone call. Uh, that's pretty useful. Uh, we think that uh, 
uh, automobiles, uh, obviously, uh, are important bundles of sensors uh, that uh, are relevant to uh, what your current context is and, uh, and, and how your life can be automated uh, based on what your car can tell us is going on. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it definitely goes outside the home. And moreover, you know, when you show up at the office, uh, like I do now, you know, uh, 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 certain things should trigger that says, okay, well, the environment at my office now changed because I'm here or it changed because I left or it changed because only one person is here and not, you know, 20. Uh, and so, uh, so, uh, location, mobile devices, uh, wearables, um, and, uh, and vehicles are all uh, an important part of the, of the, that mesh of, uh, uh sensors that, uh, help hopefully make our lives better. Yeah. So much to do, isn't there? Um, and, and, and another area which you, which you haven't mentioned in your big list is this business of of management and uh, identity and security. So yeah. uh, we take scenarios like the Airbnb scenario where uh, you open up your home to somebody for a couple of days. They come into your house and you want to give them control of your IoT devices, but only for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can turn the lights on and off and open the door and not be attacked by the vac- uh, robotic vacuum cleaner, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, but then uh, after the weekend, you want to take that uh, those permissions back. And mm-hmm. you probably want to have a look at an audit trail to see what people have been doing with your objects. That might be quite mm-hmm. useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you're really smart, you could probably then, if you've got a ledger system, then build in a, a cryptocurrency for settlement. So if you could, you see, you can turn the lights on, but or if you turn the electric heater on or the air conditioning, you pay for it. Mm-hmm. Thought. Um, yeah. yeah, all these things that can be be, be done in the future, but there's, but there's a long way to go yet. I think. Yeah, uh, there is, but uh, but yeah, I think a, a lot of the core concepts that you're talking about, James, are are, are very much in focus uh, for us right now. They're very real. I, you know, I think that Airbnb uh, scenario is a real one, or just one in which you have house guests. Um, you know, the uh, uh, you know, I remember uh, you, you know my my parents having you know all the different remote controls, and they would have a list. You know, for anybody who would come, you know, they would house guests. You know, people just kind of come over, like, okay, if you need to operate the TV, do this and that and that. Um, and uh, I, I think that we can, uh, for any sort of house guest, um, uh, be able to surface, you know, things like that, use, useful things that says, okay, just use your voice to say, turn on the TV. Yeah. Well, um, how, is, that, is that how you do it at the moment, using uh, Amazon voice services? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, create your your routines that know how to command your things and turn on your scenes, essentially, for the TV room or what have you. Yeah. Uh, but the problem with that is that you've got no, no form of authentication. So anybody... So burglar comes in, um, uh, he can control all your objects. Uh, well, so there are more pieces that are coming to that that I think are going to uh, uh, make sure that those things are, are are still only granted to the people who should have them granted. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, physical access is one of those uh, filters. That's right. Door, door, uh, lock, but, door locks under voice control, for example, is a bit of a no-no, really, isn't right, it? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, locking them uh, in most cases is going to be an okay thing. It's the unlock that is the tricky bit. So uh, there's a lot of extra, uh, you know, multi-factor things 
things that are being added to that to make sure that uh, it's only the people who should be able to do them can. Mm, yeah, that's the worry about door locks that, that keeps my wife and I from going down that path is the idea that uh, that uh, it's a little less deterministic about how access is, is granted. Um, on the other hand, I would like to see some, I mean, there's some more evolved things that I'd like to see. For example, we have some surveillance cameras that watch the front of our property because we primarily park on the street. Um, I would like to have the ability to uh, to know when our vehicles are on the street and sort of you know, when a vehicle leaves, just uh, log that out mm. or, or something. Like Interesting. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which And there's an outfit called Sighthound that does that. Um, but anyhow, um, I think it's fantastic and fascinating. And we're coming to the top of the hour. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. And we and, haven't uh, even done a demo, Michael, have we? Well, I was going to do a demo if you would like to. Um, uh, for example... I've been tinkering. Uh, you can see that I've been tinkering. Um, my little thing here about turning on the office lights, these light bulbs that you see uh, before you now are the Wemo lights. And so, um, and I've got just a second here. I've got my little, uh, uh, well, that's not the best video I could possibly show, but I've got my um, Amazon dot here. So we could say, Alexa, turn off the office lights. Alexa, turn off the office lights. <laughs> okay. And so she does her thing and it runs the opposite sequence of this, which is to turn on or off these five light bulbs. Uh, however, I'll, let's look at some of the slightly more advanced ones that they show within their samples here in the app. This is a nice part about the app is that it gives you uh, some examples for, say, for um, a wake up. If you go in here and it's just going to look at the different devices that I have. Um, uh, let's see here. We go at 7 a.m. A wake up turns a bunch of lights on, sets the Nest thermostat to 72 uh, and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now I would probably remove a bunch of those, mm -hmm. but the ease of use thing is if I look at these light bulbs, if I, you can, you, I don't know, you can see this. I'm going to do this way. If I want to remove that light, I just do that. I want to remove that light. I just do that. If I want to change its functionality, I just say, no, no, turn off, toggle, dim to arbitrary percentage. And if I'm talking about a colored light, I have various different things like set color to random or set color temperature specifically, uh, or a flash. I mean, this, this is just so easy to use. It's so easy. Even a caveman could do it. Um, <laughs> and then you simply type, you know, tap on the little check mark in the upper corner and you've got a new routine then uh, that does things relative to your house. Um, and the, the, if we're starting from scratch, the interesting thing is this. When, and you say, okay, when, at a time, let's call it at that time, that's fine. Uh, then add an action. I'm going to say to that colored lamp turn it off, but only if it's Wednesday or it's the weekend. Yeah. So on the, on the weekend at that time, turn that lamp off. Boom, boom, boom. Very easy to do. That alone is at least one step beyond what if can, can achieve. Um, the one thing I, I would ask Kent is in, in this conditional stuff, if I had a motion sensor, is it mm -hmm. possible to say only do this if there's no motion in that space, that sensor has been idle. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to know if don't, don't do it if the room's occupied. Right. I'd like to know. Right. Um, um, so micro location is a little bit difficult. So so motion uh, is is an interesting thing, and uh, there's a couple different motion sensors we work with today. But, uh, but uh, there's going to be more in the future, which are uh, a bit I think a bit smarter. Um, but so I think right now for the conditional part of the logic, uh, we don't have, uh, it, but only if there's no motion. Uh, but I, I think we do uh, can use motion sensors as triggers in that. So this is right. oh, if you see motion. Uh, then do this, or if you see no motion, then 
turn everything off. Uh, and so you can sort of approximate that use case, but uh, but yeah, the, the devices are still catching up a little bit with some of those. Use yeah, okay. Cases. And the one device that I have that I can't use with it that I would like to, I'll just add as a suggestion, is the NetAtmo weather station. Oh yeah, uh, they get a lot have, of requests. Yeah, they have. We we, uh, we like them for their ability to track data, and they have something that. Um, isn't so common, they have a good sound meter in them. So you can say, if you hear a noise, then do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's quite quite lovely. Um, so, hey, we're coming to the end of our hour. I'll ask these guys for one more round of questions. We also have a handful of people listening on our audio conference bridge. Um, Kent, if we've missed anything, if there's some key insight you think, oh, Andy, go now. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a question. Uh, it has to do with uh, uh, Bluetooth Low Energy and NFC and uh, how you interface those things in. I mean, it's particularly the reason for the question really is is that you said that when your daughters leave the, leave the house, the whole house locks up. So clearly there's got to be a way of detecting them leaving the house. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Yeah. Well, in their case, uh, it's their phones. Uh, they carry their phones with them when they go to school. And so that's a, that's a trigger for their leave home. Region. Okay. But uh, have you done anything with interfacing BLE and uh, NFC? Um, so NFC directly, no. Um, a number of the devices that we work with today are using uh, BLE, um, but not for necessarily micro location um, uh, or, or any kind of location types of events. But we see that coming. We see uh, that uh, I think one of the one of the great things on the horizon for smart home is micro location, knowing whether or not there's somebody in that room. Now, motion sensors are useful, uh, but BLE can be quite useful too, especially in identifying who that person is, right? Um, and so, uh, so we see. Uh, some products coming in that actually have BLE, say, in the light switch and and being able to detect uh, who's in the room and, and using that as, uh, as as one of the triggers into automation. So I think we'll see that coming today. Uh, you know me, ourselves aren't using that, but uh, but I think in a very short period of time, we will be. Okay. Well, hopefully, uh, in the very near future, if some people have their way, you'll have your own domestic uh, LTE um, femto cells in there. And, and the femto cells are actually very, very good at doing uh, high precision um, um, location, uh, sub one meter accuracy. We're talking about, and and the, the other great thing about that is that you can uniquely identify the endpoint, so you can see see exactly where Andy is in his house, for example. I'm sure he tracks me. <laughs> well, this from an automation standpoint, that's incredibly useful uh, stuff. So yeah, uh, that's exactly what uh, what what uh, has been anticipated and, and contemplated for uh, smart home for a while, and I think what our engine is going to be able to take good advantage of. Back, yeah. Can I back, back this down just for a second? Um, we're almost at the end, and if anybody has gotten this far and is watching the video or has been listening live or watching all this far, I think it would be good to say, what is the minimum amount of equipment you need and software? So you get the Yonomi app either on the iOS, the Apple App Store, or uh, the Android, Play, the Google Play Store, I'm sure. Um, yeah. What is the minimum setup you'd need? I happen to have a, a Tribi here, uh, and uh, so do the other guys, I think, a couple of them. Um, mm. You need a, either the Amazon Echo or what other equipment that, what would, if you don't have anything, what should you go out and buy that to give you a taste? I guess that's a better question. Uh, yeah, uh, the, really one or more of the devices that we currently support, and they're on our website as well as in, in the app, you can see the supported devices. So it's yonomi.co is our website, uh, displays all of those devices that we support today. So really just one or more of those things, and, and that's the minimum 
headset and a smartphone, obviously. Um, uh, it's more valuable when you have two or more of those devices, for sure. Uh, as, uh, as Michael sort of demonstrated, coordinating them becomes uh, uh, quite useful. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's the minimum set. I mean, typically we see people starting with lights. It's such a popular, obvious thing to automate uh, that Philips Hue or one of the various other LifeX, whomever else, uh, you buy one of those and that's maybe the first thing that you start to coordinate. Um, uh, a lot of users come to us because they're Sonos users um, and, uh, and automating uh, their, uh, their music and, and home sound experience is uh, interesting to them. Um, but, uh, but really, you know, many different device types today, uh, kind of the possibilities are endless with the types of things that you can, you can do when you start automating things together. Uh, clearly having a voice interface like uh, Amazon Echo or Echo Dot um, it, it makes it uh, even more useful. So not only can you automate certain things, but you can uh, instantaneously request them via your voice. That's pretty useful. By the way, I think as far as detecting as far as detecting a person or a presence in a room, it would actually be really good to be able to work with if somebody's not if there's been nobody for like twenty minutes or something to cut off mm-hmm. lights. Not the obvious, but yeah. right, hopefully yeah. that'll come. Um, anybody else, or are we going to the mature audiences? And uh, before I, I leave, because I'm in the kitchen, Tim, I know I heard you. Reggie, yeah, no, I I have a question which. Okay. Is Kind of almost a meta question, which is, do I gather from the fact that this that you're centered around an, an app that you think that mobile web isn't the way to, to do any of this? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question about mobile web. So, so do you think that there's any any room for the mobile web as a way of controlling home devices, or do you think that's just a a lost cause and everyone's always going to use an app to control their light bulbs or their stuff? Uh, uh, actually, in terms of the app, yeah, the app for us is is uh, just a, a convenient vehicle to create a user interface for people to be able to, you know, one, onboard and discover their devices and two, set up routines. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, our expectation is that, you know, 95% of the time you are not pulling out uh, your phone and launching and app to do things you're doing those things will happen for you either automatically uh or you can call them up via your voice or a wearable or some something else that you can cause uh the actions to happen that you want to happen and so uh the mechanism for delivering uh those messages uh sensing those devices and everything else i think uh you know are 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 many folds um it's not just Wi-Fi, and it's not just going to be through an app experience. I think there are other ways to skin that cat, and so if mobile web, you know, is as likely as anything else to be implicated in that. Okay, thanks. I'm, I was um, interested in that space as well. So there you go. Thank you. And I now have a phone that's ringing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Kent, thank you very much for your visit. It was excellent and very, very interesting. And I may actually get started in this stuff. I've res- been resisting. Well, give it a try. It's uh, it's kind of fun when you get going with it. And, and uh, once you live with a little bit of automation, we find that people uh, can't go back. Right. And Michael, thank you. Any uh, Anything final from you, Michael? No, it was wonderful. Oh, we're, we're, we're off down this path. Um, uh, we think it's great. We no longer use if. Uh, we think you know me is wonderful. And to the extent that, uh, you yeah. know, until it... Um, morphs into something else, we'll be using it uh, happily. So Perfect. Okay, with that, we're going to morph ourselves into the mature audiences only version, which just simply means that we will be off YouTube. I'm going to put this on as a last image for Periscope. And uh, we're out of here in 543210. Okay, we are still live on Periscope because I'm not sure if it's of interest for us to do that. So we're experimenting with that, Kent. Uh, 
Okay. And uh, as your busy time. guy, thank you. And uh, yeah, there we go. Thank. This has been really cool. I mean, there have been Very some pro- some surprises along the way, but they've been trivial. Um, any of this stuff is only as good as your local Wi-Fi. And I think a lot of people are going to learn that. Yeah. Uh, particularly folks, non-technical folks are going to go, oh, I was downstairs in the basement and my phone was in my pocket and something, something didn't fire. Why was that? And uh, so you be an issue yeah there's a there's a little bit of uh user education that needs to happen along the way uh and kind of the correct expectation setting i think um but moreover obviously what we want to get to is uh that the users don't need to be that educated that stuff just works that they expect would work so uh we're continuing to work hard to make sure, sure things are easier more reliable faster all that that's the those are all that the sort of key essence of uh user experience i i am very very likely to put uh, you know me on an Acer, probably an R11 Chromebook that can run Android, and put that on a wired Ethernet connection, and and that will sort of remove some variables for me, and yeah, and away it goes. Because yeah, we've, we've had a wonderful, lot of people, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful yeah. when it works, and terrible, terrible when it doesn't work for your right. wife. Right. Yes. <laughs> that, that, believe me, uh, I I I feel you on that one. Um, and so what we see uh, a lot of people do. I mean, the, I think the Chromebook that runs Android is a is a clever solution, but there are enough very inexpensive Android uh, mobile devices, tablets, and, and stuff like that, or even old phones. Uh, like people, when they're done with their phone, are just kind of leaving that as a gateway, basically. Uh, and it's a, a very inexpensive, very simple solution to that. So do, do your family have to suffer much in terms of you <laughs> using uh, you uh, them as a beta testing environment? Uh, uh, yes, is the short answer. And, and, uh, and my kids, uh, young girls, uh, uh, uh often throw up their hands because, you know, we're, we're not, the, the version that we're testing is not the one that the rest of you have, you know, we're sort of yeah. uh, our own alpha test. Uh, and, uh, and, and so when something happens, you know, they're doing homework or whatever, and the lights go off or change colors or whatever, you know, they're like, I'm living in a test lab. Uh, <laughs> Yes, you are. I'm sure you've had excellent fun with it, though. It really does yeah. sound like uh, you've had a blast putting this together. Yeah, yeah. No, it really has been a fun. It's been it's uh, it's a it's a labor of love, no doubt. Cool. And you're in Boulder, right? Um, yeah. You have a, part of your team is in Austin. Yeah, we're split between Boulder and Austin. Okay, cool. I'm in Houston. The rest of those guys are in Europe, someplace. Oh, excellent. Um, so, yeah, well, you're welcome right. to stop, stop by and visit us in Austin sometime. I just I get the there from time to time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just over yonder, as they say. Two different countries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, in fact, we're I, we put so much money into the Phillips stuff uh, just before Halloween that I'm kind of I have to sort of recoil a little bit and go. Huh, I can't do all of this stuff in one bite because it it does get kind of pricey. And and uh, the lesson I learned was that the cheap stuff is cheap and the experience mm-hmm. is commensurate. And yeah. the expensive stuff works really well. Um, the the Hue white light bulbs, uh, I think we will have sort of everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, now that they're 15 bucks or something, then it's really game changer, I think. Yeah, yeah. The $50 light bulbs, you have to scratch your head and think hard about. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll get to that. The, the locks are a harder thing. Uh, interfacing to things like driveway gates and garage doors. Um, that would be nice, but there's less of an argument to do it. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. Uh, hey, let me, let me say that, uh, are, are we going to be on for a while longer? Because my battery's about dead. I need to get a power cord if, we're, if we are. Well, we're just on well, Periscope this, right this... now, and it's only kind of for the fun of it and having people see the after session. We're not recording on YouTube or live on sure. YouTube anymore. Up to yeah, you. I'm happy happy to stick around, but if you'll excuse me for a second, I'll go grab the power cord <laughs> okay. so I don't die. You mean you know uh, me can't in, automatically in the... switch the power? I can't believe it. Clap your hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not yet. One, one second, I'll be right back. Okay. In the meantime, I, I will give you two the puppy cam. All right. Oh, it's moved. <laughs> yeah, well, I would share my, uh, my my cat cam with you but it's, and wife cam. It's really useful. <laughs> it's two, got two-way audio as well. Oh, oh Sorry, a wife cam. I thought that was Yopet that had two-way audio. Yeah, we, we, we know the Yopet. Um, though I don't think using your pet on your wife is like advised. I think by, the, a- by the way, uh, John uh, <laughs> asked on IRC which light bulbs work best, and if any of you are well, if any of you have suggestions. I, I, um, I suggest to you that if you have an overarching control system like you know me, then you can get away with the Belkin light bulbs, uh, which are, are cheap. Um, and they use a little gateway, um, but the software that comes with them and the app from Belkin will make you pull your hair out. I literally about put them in a bucket and burn. Well, what them. about the even cheaper stuff? The, the, the Lifex. Have you tried those? Uh, Lifex, Lifex is not cheap. Cree is cheap. The Cree ones work well. Um, and 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 as as Kent said. Um, once you get over the cost of, of the little gateway device or the starter kit, the Hue, Philips Hue stuff is really wonderful. It works brilliantly well. And the, a, a Hue starter kit with two white light bulbs and the and the, the radio module, the hub module, runs about $75. And then the light bulbs themselves are about $15 a piece after that. Yeah. So that that's pretty approachable. Well, what we need to do is to find some kind of super affordable, cheapest chips Chinese Thing that can be controlled by uh, by you know me um, to do the difficult bit, and then then the light bulbs just do the turny onny turny offy bit, yeah, which they yeah. can probably handle. That's, that's kind of it. And the, the Cree is Cree is probably if you if you go to the OEM who works for Cree, you can probably find that stuff. I think they're all um, Zigbee because the Hue light bulbs are Zigbee, mm-hmm. and as, as as Tim inferred last week, um, Zigbee has this novel ability to mesh. So I, we have one Hue hub installed in the house. And they mesh between the bulbs to where I'm quite distant. I'm actually in a detached garage office, and and there's no problem with it. Oh, did you? Speaking yeah, yeah. of uh, Zigbee, did you see the wonderful video of somebody flying a drone past the building with a, a, a Zigbee hacking station dangling from it, turning on the light bulbs as he drives past the, as it flies past this multi-story building? Oh, that's funny. It's glorious, yeah. absolutely glorious picture. So, uh, I mean, I shouldn't laugh at it, but but it it is just wonderful. It's like a scene from Mr. Robot. Anyway, there you go. Well, yeah, it could I, be. One of, things, one of the things that I would like to see, and I'm, I'm accepting that I'm not in the mainstream on this, is I'd like to see um, a locally installable thing, which is more like the traditional home automation. So you're not so beholden to your internet access. But as I said, you know, at that point, you're, you're basically back to talking to system integrators who deal in the McMansion space. Yeah, well, there, there are, um, and I think you'll see a few more where you'll have uh, local rules that'll reside on some little widget in your house that's less expensive less you know much much less than the old-fashioned home automation which is quite expensive and uh you throw a lot of hardware at it uh so you'll see a little bit of that but the truth is and i think we're all this way now that that when the internet goes down there are a number of problems that it's going to cause regardless um 
you know, the, like frankly, music won't play. You know, I think most 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 folks won't have local music archives that all be in the cloud and streaming uh, all of your video content same way. Um, and anybody, uh, who, but anybody. Anybody who's together enough to be able to enunciate, you know, to, to say, I would like a locally controlled or local control already has those things local. So yeah, those no. conditions don't apply. Their, but... their media server and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But I think for the normals, yeah. as they say, uh, the internet goes down and, and that's, uh, you know, most of the services they consume are there. Yeah, I say normal. I've heard of them. It's in Indiana. Normal. <laughs> I'm not sure. There's a city called Normal. Uh, anyway, it's it's all good fun, and and yeah. gluing the stuff together is where is where the fun happens, and that's what you're doing. So yeah, yeah, uh, make, making the whole greater than the sum of the parts is the is the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Do you know, I'm, start, and, I'm, and actually, I'm starting to feel I'm starting to feel pressured to go and spend some money on on the Internet of Things now. I mean, I've, I I've got this, ele- this yeah, but, here. But the pressure is real. But we've got to do it in a, in a cost-effective way, Andy. I mean, we yeah, can't get somebody do, else to pay for it. Well, yeah, some um, uh, European research and development fund somewhere, perhaps. Yes, maybe that would be a, a good thing to do. Um, no, we can't. Certainly, certainly, we can't do what uh, Michael's done and just blow. I don't know a thousand bucks on on Philips Hue products. You know, you're going to make me cry. Just don't tell me about it. To do it is one thing. To hear about it is another. <laughs> no, no, come on. Truth now, Michael. How much have you invested in Philips Hue? Uh, probably about 300. Oh, that's not too bad. But you managed to con them out, out, out of a whole load of freebies for the demonstration no, purpose, no, no, didn't you? No, 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 I did not. Um, I bought, it's 170 something dollars for the color starter kit. And we bought another three light bulbs. So that's, that's uh, another 150 bucks. And I bought a handful. I'm probably in for four. 400 and change. Well, that's, um, that's not too bad. But what, what we've got to do is to find some really effective, um, very low-cost Chinese things that are half decent. Well, you know, you, you know what motivates? Already starting to see. Sorry, I think we're already starting to see the uh, uh, the um, typical consumer electronic effects where, where things get cheaper and cheaper uh, all the time. And that's accelerating, and it, and it's coming from you know real uh, vendors, not just sort of off-brand uh, uh, cheap things, like you say. Um, and, and so Michael pointed out that, you know, we're down to the point when we started, you know me, you couldn't buy a connected light bulb for less than 60 bucks. And now you can get really high quality ones for 15, um, uh, you know, until I'm sorry, we, which one, which ones are those Ken for 15 bucks? 15 they're Philip Philips Hue white light bulbs are $15 now. Okay. Uh, they're, 50, they're 15 pounds from Amazon, 14.99. You, st- yeah. you, you, you need the hub to get started. Right. Um, how would they differ from say the Cree or the GE link? Um, those are also pretty high quality uh, bulbs. I, uh, it ends up being what we find because, you know, the, I think the Crees are maybe down to $12 or something now. I think they're pretty inexpensive and still fairly high quality, uh, reliable uh, bulbs when you get them uh, connected to a, a good, Good bridge like a Hue Bridge or Wink Bridge or something like that. Um, uh, but it, it comes down to uh, preferences. It turns out that people can tend to be very passionate about the quality of their light and the the uh, the, the warmth and the color and everything else. So I think it's, it comes down to personal preference. I yeah. I'm tell really me about like- it. I have a wife who complains endlessly about the the color tone of the uh, LED lights in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Bearing in mind, we've got, what, 26, what were 50-watt halogen downlighters in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, replacing them with uh, LEDs. 
was a necessity. I, I think very specifically for food, um, the color really matters. I think, think if you're yeah. in, in a kitchen with with, um, with with color, particularly if it's ending up with a lot of blue in the spectrum, the food just looks much less appetizing. I agree, and I think I think you know spaces where you work too, your, your office. You know, once you've uh, experienced being able to tune your lights uh, to your own preference, it, that's what's really hard to go back. Uh, and so I think that's that's why um, smart bulbs. Uh, uh, as we're all transitioning to the LED world, make a lot of sense because you can have some very unsatisfactory experiences with LED bulbs if you don't have them exactly right. But if you put some in that you can then tune yourself that like, oh, this is the way I like it for when I'm reading or this is the way I like it for when I'm cooking or this is the way I like it for when I'm watching television um, or when I have guests over or whatever, then you realize like, holy crap, you know, I can never go back to the to the bad old days where it was just sort of one uh, quality of light that I could get. I think that's absolutely right. But it, it's even, I mean, I, this thing uh, behind me has a bunch of LEDs, um, little uh, um, NeoPixel type LEDs in it. And um, and I spent an N, it, I can't tell you how many hours I spent messing with the colors on those to get the effect that the artist wanted. And what, what I discovered is that actually these particular ones don't have any warm, any ability to do a warm white. And so it doesn't matter how much red you put in, it doesn't come out as a warm white. Mm. So they actually, it turns out now they have a different version of these LEDs that has a, a, a fourth um, LED in it that is warm white. And you can you can say, I either want white by mix or I want actual warm white, and then you get it. And this kind of interesting, um, it messes with my algorithm, of course, but there you go. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm, I haven't got in there, but I think it's interesting that it's a thing that people really demand. A friend of mine is director of sales for a company out of England that makes studio lighting for television stations and uh, their big thing is they uh, very high quality traditionally fluorescence with uh, tight control of color uh, high CRI ratings and such like but as they've transitioned to LEDs uh, there's been pressure to do so there's a whole lot of technical hurdles to render quality light and controlled quality light from LEDs also to be to have adequate diffusion from LEDs is really difficult mm -hmm. whereas with other lighting sources it's just innate so Anyhow, uh, the Philips stuff, lovely. Can't say enough nice things about it. The software is a pleasure to use. The, the, the Wemo stuff, I was literally about to put it all in a metal bucket and set it on fire. Because it was the the soft the, the devices themselves are fine, but the software that the company's written sounds like their, send them to James. <laughs> their uh, inability or unwillingness to uh, to engineer what is the user experience, like um, how to put it to if you have a problem and you have a failed pairing of the light bulb to the little base, the way that you unpair it manually is you have to you have to turn it off and on in a specific timed fashion. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm reminded of toggle switches. I mean, it's like you got to hold your mouth just right and it's got to be a full moon and the timing has to be exactly perfect and you have to be more than 12 feet above sea level and maybe it works on the 13th try <laughs> and when i you know i would think that they're getting uh, you know, a lot of support requirement out of that but in point of fact when you look at the people who are doing their little support videos and stuff they're all kind of very young folks so i i only put it down to they don't know any better <laughs> sorry grant off <laughs> no keep going it's good bounce to another meeting here in a, in a few minutes but uh, I, I appreciate you having me on today this has been a good fun hey that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community we're at VUC.me on the web thanks to simwood.com who can turn you as a developer into a telco 
Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.